Good morning, church. It's good to be uh, with you all this morning. Welcome to those of you that are here in the building today and those of you who are online. Uh, also, uh, blessings to our students and uh, our youth leaders as they're uh, out and about. Got a picture yesterday morning from the retreat. Uh, one of the, or a number of the students, gathered around the table with Mountain Dew, which is an important component of any uh, winter retreat, and it looks like there was plenty on hand uh, this weekend for our students. Uh, just a quick note for our guys in the back. I think the clicker uh, for up here is back there maybe uh, in the box. I don't see it up here, and I might need that. There's a box I think it must be sitting in. Uh, I'll let them kind of unpack it. Oh, they found it. Good. And why they bring that up, let's do our monthly memory verse together. We're winding down the month of January 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Let's say it together. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see fully. Now I know, <laughs> wow. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We'll keep working on that. We have one more week. I'm sure we'll get it by next week. It is a longer one than what we've been used to uh, recently. But yeah, wow. Found a lot of encouragement this morning in uh, Laura's sharing and her testimony with what the Lord's doing through uh, Send International. Uh, it's really incredible to hear God, how God is at work in all different parts of the world. Uh, but specifically to hear uh, how he is at work in those who are escaping difficult circumstances uh, in other countries to come here to the States and how he's working through the church to um, help folks uh, uh, find their way into a relationship with him. And as you heard from Laura, that takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of prayer. Um, but it's really incredible, uh, the work that she's doing. So thank you, Laura. Thank you for your team. And uh, just encouragement for any of you, if any of you were interested uh, in the idea of being part of a welcoming team that is something that is a way that we can tangibly contribute to this ministry. And Laura is going to be available in Lefevre Hall following service today. We already have uh, at least one that I know of from our congregation who is helping uh, in this manner. There may be more, uh, but if you would also like to help, please see Laura following service today and talk about how you might be part of a welcoming team. It's important to know uh, how we can contribute to the work that the Lord is doing. And, and indeed, that's really something that Paul has been discussing in this portion of his letter to the Corinthians. We've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians together, and we've been studying it under the theme of love builds up. And in this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul's talking about uh, the way that we can contribute with the gifts that we have been given. And specifically, he's been talking about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And so we continue to work through this chapter. Today we're in verses 26 through 33 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're looking at Paul's message to the Corinthians. Uh, behind this message, there is a spirit that we come ready to contribute. And so, before we dive into the text this morning, let's ask the Lord to help us in our time of study this, together. 
Father, thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for how it is powerful and active, how it is living, how your spirit is using it even right now to apply to each one of us uh, what we need this morning. Lord, we gather, uh, we come into it today with hearts and minds ready. Uh, Lord, we are excited to find out how we might contribute with the gifts that you have given us to the good of our body, that we might glorify you. Father, help your word to be a source of encouragement and edification to us today. We desire to leave this place uh, with a better knowledge and understanding of how we might use your word to love others in our community in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 to 33a this morning. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, Let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Paul says, what then, brothers, at the beginning of this portion of his letter this morning. But he's continuing to address the church as a corporate body, women, men, and children. We might liken Paul's use of the word brothers here to the way that we use the word brother in today. And think about that when we talk about a denomination uh, like the church of the brethren. We're not speaking of a congregation only made up of men, uh, rather one that is made up of all people. And so Paul, again, in this portion of his letter, he is speaking to all of those gathered in the Corinthian church. And his particular focus in this portion of chapter 14 is how one might come prepared to contribute to the work that God is already doing in the midst of our gatherings. And there's at least five specific contributions that can be made. Three of those contributions are tethered to the gift of prophecy. As you can see on the screen, uh, one was a hymn. We sang some hymns today. A mighty fortress is our God. One is a lesson. One is a revelation. And then two of the ways we might contribute were tethered or tied to the gift of tongues. To actually speak in a different language without any training uh, or former knowledge or to interpret what was said in that language for someone else. The why behind our, our seeking to contribute is revealed in verse 26. Take a look down at your text. What does Paul say in verse 26? What is the why behind our contribution? Let all things be done for what? For building up. Indeed, this 
concept has been the theme for our entire study in this series. Love builds up. And this concept of building one another up in love has especially been prevalent in this section of Paul's letter. And this is evidenced in Paul's repetition of the phrase in chapter 14, where he's going to use a form of this phrase building up six different times, at least. And you can see them on your screen. And the issue that Paul was addressing was related to the misapplication of both the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. When the people were coming together, these were two of the more highly envied gifts, the ones that the people really wanted to have and share with each other. But in their desire to do this, they were woefully misusing them and misapplying them in the corporate gatherings. One can use his or her gifts to draw attention to themselves and build themselves up in public gatherings, which is what the Corinthian people were doing uh, with these gifts. Or one can use his or her gifts to focus on others and building others up in corporate environments. Remember, one of the previous lessons we had learned regarding the gift of prophecy was that prophecy was to be focused on the listener. And Paul's teaching here, friends, it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's pushing against some of our modern comforts. We have all been born into a community that is consumed with consuming. Every single one of us. I'm as guilty as anyone else. Perhaps we're all guilty. I would suspect if we're sitting here, all of us have been guilty at one time or another of living with a consumer mentality. And perhaps this is evidenced in the reality uh, that our faith communities, even our churches, uh, they're not unstained from the influence of consumerism. It is indeed a part of even our Christian communities. And then the fallout of this is that we often come with a heart to receive rather than a spirit to contribute or to give. We want to be fed. We, we want to be filled up. We want to be blessed and we want to, to be encouraged and we want to be informed, which by themselves, these things are not bad. They're not wrong. In fact, later on, Paul is going to suggest that our gatherings should fill up these containers. Our, our spirits should feel full after we come together. We should leave blessed, perhaps at peace, prepared, equipped, encouraged, consoled, reconciled, comforted, repaired, renovated, even challenged. Whatever may be needed as the Spirit has applied to each one directly, as there is need. Both feeding others and finding nourishment for ourselves are an important component in our public worship. We cannot have one, though, and not the other. Friends, I am so thankful for the countless army of volunteers that we have here at Calvary Monument Bible Church, that they really, in so many ways, 
make our ministries run and function. Our, our children's ministry volunteers, you know how much time and effort those individuals put into caring for the needs of our children in every single ministry environment we have for them. Our youth workers that go on youth retreats and stay up till one in the morning with sick kids and Mountain Dew and all kinds of other stuff that goes on. Giving their time and their energy and their effort. Going on all-nighters, on youth, youth overnighters and all kinds of other things that happen. It's incredible. The folks that come early. You know, we have a lot of folks that come early on Sunday morning. You'd never know. They're here at 7 o'clock in the morning, some of them. Some of them stay late. They shut everything down. Sometimes on Wednesday nights, there's groups that are here preparing in advance for the Awana ministries that are taking place. There's... Folks that come and they set up for our prayer ministries, all kinds of ministry, volunteer ministry happening. All kinds of folks in our congregation coming to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ in the church. And what Paul is indicating in this portion of his letter and throughout really sections 12 to 14 is that this spirit of contribution is most effective when there is a rhythm and an intentionality or an order that governs it. In verses 27 and 28, he's specifically engaging the church regarding how tongues were to be employed within their community. And I like the word rhythm here because it, it reflects and it builds on terminology that Paul's used earlier in this section of his letter. Paul has used instruments like gongs and cymbals. He's talked about flutes and harps and bugles. When, I don't know how many musicians we have in here, but I think there's probably a good many. When an, an orchestra comes together, there are so many components. There are stringed instruments. There are woodwind instruments. There's brass instruments. And when they are all playing in harmony on key and in rhythm. How beautiful and harmonic is that music? Melodious. It's gorgeous. We love it. Many of us have loved it. Uh, many of us have been to hear orchestras and concerts and, and recognize that. But if there is one in the whole orchestra that's off key, off rhythm, playing a different piece of sheet music, how does that go? It throws the whole thing off, right? The whole thing. And you can hear it. Even those of us that aren't very musically gifted. I mean, we could sit back in our seats and we can hear. I, I remember one time uh, at, a, at a church, I was at a worship service. And, and there was a guitar player on stage. And everything sounded so beautiful with the music and the worship was going great. And then guess what? His string broke. That changed everything. He had to stop playing. It was a guitar-led song. It changed everything. One instrument misused, misapplied in an orchestra can throw off the entire ensemble. Much the same with our spiritual gifts, friends. When we come together, there should be a concern that they're employed and they're practiced in rhythm 
and harmony. And Paul acknowledges in verse 28 that, look, there may be uh, some in attendance, maybe two, maybe even three, that desire to use uh, this gift of tongues. But if they're going to use it, he gives it some parameters. He says only two or three, each in turn, and only if there is an interpreter. And when we read this, we remember Paul's earlier teaching that if the gift of tongues was employed in this manner, that it was still beneficial then to the individual uh, who was employing it silently. So if you came and there was no one to interpret and you couldn't use your gift publicly, that was okay. Because you could still silently practice your gift and it could still be edifying and upbuilding to the person who had it. Paul affirmed that earlier in chapter 14. And, and it's interesting, he introduces this concept of silence here, right? In verse 28, look at verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. And this idea of silence or keeping silence becomes a, a bit of a sub-theme to Paul's guidance in the Corinthian ch uh, church in chapter 14. Paul only uses this particular Greek word for silence four times in all of his letters. And three of the four times that he uses it are right here in chapter 14. The other time he uses it is in Romans 16 where he's talking about the revelation of Jesus which was kept secret or silent for ages. The next three are all right here in chapter 14 in the next few verses. Two of them we'll look at this week. One we'll get to next week. Knowing when to be silent or to keep one's gift to themselves can also be an effective way to contribute to the upbuilding of the body. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> Namely, it's because both men and women in the Corinthian church had misapplied and misused the gift of tongues. Both men and women are instructed to be silent if they desired to use their gift but did not have someone to interpret. For all of us, though, Perhaps a broader principle of application is this. There is a time to speak up, a time to share, a time to not, to be quiet, to refrain, to keep silent. And when it's time to keep silent, we can rest assured that God is still able to speak to us and through us, and we are still able to speak to him. Friends, I'm learning in ministry that it is much harder for a foot to be inserted between closed lips. Unfortunately, in my position, I'm not afforded that opportunity too often. I have to speak. I have to open my mouth. And, and in this season of life and ministry, I'm going to be honest with you. That's been tough. <laughs> That's been tough. And not just for me, but uh, a lot of my pastor friends that are serving in ministry, that are working in ministry right now. It's been a tough season to open your mouth. 
and to share from your heart. Um, and you know, <clears throat> having a cold, I'm going to get my water, sorry. It's not helping much uh, either. Excuse me. You may wonder why, we've been, why I've been wearing a mask in the past few weeks. We've been struggling in the Lenhart home uh, with some illness. And so uh, I'm bringing that with me a little bit this morning. But it is important to know when to share. And it's also important to know when not to share. And Paul's addressing that here. And so there is a rhythm and an order to the employment of the gift of tongues. But what about prophecy? Should the public proclamation of truth also have a rhythm when employed within the corporate assembly? Paul says yes. And he's going to reflect on the rhythm that's associated with the use of prophecy in verses 29 to 32. As with tongues in verse 27, look at what Paul says in verse 29. Verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Now, could you imagine that? Imagine if I were to say to you, hey, when I'm done today, at the end of our service, uh, Pastor Bob's going to come up for 25 or 30 minutes and he's going to share a word. And then Pastor Jim's going to come up for 25 or 30 minutes and he's going to share a word. And then... Pastor Tom, you have a word to share too, another 25 or 30 minutes. We might get out by 4 or 5 p.m. this evening, right? And, and so there's this idea that well, this, this unpacking of the gift of prophecy as it worked in the Corinthian church, it looks very different uh, in our American churches today. And I say in our American churches because I have a cousin. Uh, she happens to be married to a man who was born and raised in Tanzania and they did their Sunday morning services very differently in Tanzania. It wasn't just one person that got up to preach. There was a group that would come together. And different people in the co congregation could get up and share. But guess what? The elders in the congregation could tell you to sit down and be quiet if they didn't like what you had to say. So my cousin would tell us stories about that and we'd laugh. You know, he said they'd look at somebody, he'd start to share and they'd say, no, we don't like what you're saying. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting in different ways that these gifts are unpacked in different churches throughout the world. And by the way, if the message of prophecy and the further weighing of what was said was taking a lot of time and people were in a hurry or looking at their clock or their watches. Did you ever get that before? I got that one time. Uh, I had a guy come up to me and he's like, hey, you were like five minutes over. Not here. It was another church I was speaking at. You were like five minutes over today. And I was like, man. And another guy stood behind him. He heard it and he came up. He said, you preach as long as you want next time you come here. <laughs> Paul had words for the people who were looking at their clocks and their watches. Not to the Corinthians, but to the church in Thessalonica. Regarding the gift of prophecy and the weighing of what was being said. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. As prophecies are being weighed, perhaps one who has shared their gift has the desire to answer, justify, defend, maybe even further clarify what they were saying. But Paul wants edification and building up, not bickering. And so look at the instructions he gives in verse 30. You share what you have to say, and then what? 
If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Say what you have to say, sit down, and then someone else come up and they might say something. Stay silent, let them share. The instruction of silence has now been given at two different times in relationship to two different gifts to all who are gathered in the assembly, both men and women. Going back to the illustration of the orchestra, one of the imaginists. Imagine if someone in the orchestra was given a solo. They're playing. It's their turn to play. Their solo is, is bringing power, bringing some kind of focus to the overall show. But when their solo is over, they step back and what happens? The orchestra continues to add effect and to play and to fill in behind it. The soloist doesn't stay out in front and keep trying to draw all the attention to themselves. All of this structure that Paul has built here in chapter 14 is aimed at seeing the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy within its environment in the corporate worship uh, spaces shine to their fullest potential so that they could be used with maximum efficiency, selflessly, not focused up on the building up of the one who had the gift, but focused on the building up of the other. Friends, we gather, we said this last week, but it, we cannot say it enough. We gather to glorify God by building one another up in love. That's why we're here. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings. And so look, Paul instructs in verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. This word encouraged in the Greek, it's the word parakaleo, and it's it 23 times Paul uses it in his letter to the Corinthian church. It's enforcing this reality that the imperative motivation behind our gatherings, one of the imperative motivations is to encourage and build one another up. And take a quick glance with me all the way back at verse 3 of chapter 14. Should be right in your chapter. Go back to verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. This word encourage also carries with it tones that included the concepts of comfort and reconciliation. And last week, Paul explored how God can use the gift of prophecy to even draw an outsider or one who's not yet believed into a relationship with himself and a relationship with a faith community. And this week, we find that Paul's moved his focus to those who are already believing in the community. When we gather, present within our community are friends who are in pain, friends who've experienced loss, who need comforted. The proclamation of God's truth, prophecy, can console. There are also present with us friends with relationships that are strained, estranged, broken, the need of restoration. The proclamation of God's truth can motivate reconciliation. 
Also among us are friends who are experiencing depression, anxiety, stress, upheaval in their personal lives. The proclamation of God's truth is able to encourage. So as we speak forth the truth of God in our public gathering, our goal is to do so in rhythm in order that all may learn and all might be encouraged. Friends, we all hold the same powerful book. Its words are meant to teach us, to encourage us, to give us life, to build us up, to edify us, and to move us forward together as a body of Christ. And so helping to ensure that this is happening, look at the layer of accountability that Paul lays on this in verse 32 of chapter 14. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to what? Prophets. The prophets. The spirit with which we share is subject to others with the gift of prophecy in our assemblies. I think about those men in Tanzania who sat in that church service. Perhaps they didn't like what some young up-and-comer whippersnapper had to say because they were saying it with a little too much pride and arrogance. They were judging their motivation. That word spirit here in the text, it points to the seat of our emotions, our heart, or our motives. Perhaps as elders, one of the things they wanted to do was make sure that if somebody was getting up front to share, that they were getting up front to do so with the right motivations, the right attitudes, the right intentions, a spirit of humility and kindness, spirit to instruct, not to take attention, not to prop themselves up or platform themselves. The one who was using their gift of prophecy, had they truly taken into consideration the needs of those who were gathered? That was important. Remember, the listener was given priority over the speaker. And if so, if they have, are they communicating the truth in a way that accurately reflects the message, ministry, and character of Jesus, who was the very embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life? And so in verse 32, we're brought face to face with this reality, that both the truth we share and the spirit that we share it, our motivations for sharing it, both are important. And both are subject, in Paul's words, to the other prophets. Or we might say today the other pastors or those with the gift of public proclamation that are present in our assembly. Uh, friends, I, I take that very seriously. That's why I keep mentors and have mentors in my life that speak to me in this way. And can speak to me in this way. Um, it, it's incredibly important to me. Uh, mm -hmm. That men are willing to share. You know, when you got up there on Sunday morning uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I just sensed uh, uh, a little bit of, of uncertainty or maybe a little bit of arrogance or pride. And perhaps next time you could say this this way or that way. Um, I have a guy that uh, listens to me <clears throat> every once in a while. He'll text me and he'll remind me of how boring I am. And I, <laughs> I, I thank him immensely for that because it keeps me humble uh it does and he's incredible at it he always says it so creatively um he picks out the weirdest thing in the sermon 
uh, just so I know that um, what, what he was listening for. Uh, but friends, if, if there are folks, and, and for the way that we structure our churches today, the gift of prophecy is in our public gathering Sunday morning is most often coming from the pulpit, right? And so it's vitally important for, the, for whoever is up here sharing that gift to have those safeguards in their life. I need men like that. Any of you who would be sharing this gift in this way, uh, you would need men like that in your life as well uh, because it's vitally important to have those safeguards, uh, to keep ourselves accountable for the reasons, the motivations, and the purposes for why we're getting up front to share on Sunday morning. This isn't about me. It can't be about me. It's about the Lord. And I said it before and I say it a thousand times, I don't want any credit. Uh, don't, don't give me any. Um, this, is, this is all for the glory of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Um, one day I'll be long gone and guess what? Calvary Monument Bible Church will still be here. And someone else will be up in this pulpit. And I hope he shares the same spirit and the same attitude and the same posture. And I'm thankful for the men who've served here in the past um, who share that posture uh, and who exude that posture in their life and their ministry. And Paul desires that the sharing of our gifts have a metered and measured rhythm and order to them because this promotes a sense of peace and wholeness or tranquility, one that is truly representative of the character of our great and mighty God of peace. And look how he closes uh, in verse 33, for our God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And so very quickly, as we wrap up this morning, I want to just take us back and walk us down this path that Paul has, has led us up on up to this point in chapter 14. Uh, just going back to chapter 11, Paul's initiated this thought back at the beginning of chapter 11 where he encourages traditions to be maintained, but only if they are properly ordered. Christ is the head. All things are from God. Those who lead in worship, whether men or women, should hold the sacred opportunity to honor God by honoring one another. That was chapter 11. Paul continues this priority of proper order in chapter 11 by instructing the church regarding their practice of the Lord's Supper. Because of their lack of care and concern for one another, they were dishonoring God and missing the whole point of the meal. Moving to chapter 12, he's moving on to the ordering of the spiritual gifts. All were given a gift. How were they apportioned? Who was giving them? Uh, how were they fueled? In what ways are they effective? Paul's addressing all of these questions. He's using the illustration of the body to describe the order and the symmetry of the gifts. We're not brought together by God by accident. Remember, we talked that there was a purposeful design and intention for our bodies that we might glorify God by investing in one another, honoring one another, building one another up in love. And while the higher gifts were to be desired in chapter 12, you remember that there was something that was even more excellent or more greater, uh, something that uh, was greater for every individual person, every congregation to pursue. And so in chapter 13, what does Paul do? He orders love as the first priority of action in the lives of all true believers. 
And he does this poetically and masterfully describing love in language that's timeless and unrivaled in the world. And then at the end of chapter 13, we're once again brought eye to eye with rhythm and measure, a pattern or an order. What does he say? So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But what's the order? What's the priority of order? The greatest of these is what? Love. So here we are back in chapter 14. And out of the higher gifts that were to be desired, um, Paul has ordered prophecy as the one most effective in our corporate gatherings. He has shown how prophecy is effectively used of God to help us live peaceably and prepared in the world that we've been planted in. He's demonstrated how through prophecy, the public foretelling of God's truth, that God is able to draw in the curious and not yet believing, leading even them towards attitudes and habits of conviction and confession and repentance, worship and even the affirmation of truth. And he's also now just demonstrated that through prophecy, God is able to speak to the believer in a way that guides, instructs, encourages, and consoles. All of this demonstrating the reality that our God is not a God of insurrection or unruliness. Rather, he is the God of peace. And when the body of Christ is gathered together and all of the components are ordered as Paul has described the upbuilding, the encouragement, and the consolation of all is maximized to its fullest potential. And God is glorified as the source of all shalom. And so how might we live as disciples of Jesus and function together as his church in an overwhelmingly unbelieving world? We've been answering this question at the end of every one of the sermons in this series. Based on the text we read today, Letting all things be done for building up, we gather to console, instruct, and encourage one another. Glorifying our God of peace, we share the gifts that he has given us according to the rhythm that he has ordered and designed. As our team comes, let's pray. Father, thank you for your... us, for the upbuilding of our body, uh, for the encouragement of one another, for the consolation of one another. Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray that we would take concern and consideration uh, about how we would use our gifts with one another, with a desire to love uh, one another. I pray, Lord, that you would motivate within us a spirit to contribute, a spirit to love, a spirit to show kindness and to be encouragers in a world that is often uh, so tumultuous um, and sometimes, Lord, so abrasive. Uh, help us be people of love, Lord, motivated by love. And help us give you the glory for what you accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.